Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I woke up at 5 a.m. Put on my camouflage. Wiped off my 243 and fired up my Dodge. Headed out to my old deer stand back in the pine. And welcome back to Jim Strader Outdoors. This is our number two of tonight's broadcast. If you're just joining us, I have Wes Thomas in the studio. Wes is a professional bass fisherman. has fished various tournament circuits throughout his career. He's sponsored by Ranger Boats, Evan Rude Motors, and the Indiana National Guard, which he's very proud of. That's been a, a real stalwart relationship had it uh, uh, yes it has been jim it's we've had uh some pretty good times there i've had an opportunity to take uh the general from bosnia fishing one day uh he was over here they were doing some troop trainings and stuff and he told him he wanted to go fishing so i took him fishing and had a really good day and uh when he got ready to leave he said told me in that kind of a broken uh, European Army, <laughs> but you, he said, you are a true professional. <laughs> well, that's good. And we got a big kick out of that. But it's, it's been quite enjoyable with them. Yep. Hey, uh, first part of the broadcast, we were talking about the conditions at the lakes, which I felt was very important this evening since we're heading into this 4th of July week and weekend, which is a big, big to do for a lot of folks. Um, Let's change gears, though. Let's talk about how to catch them. You know, that's that's uh, always the main reason I've got you in here. We mentioned uh, a little bit about some baits of choice, but we are transitioning into the true summer period. However, right now, I think it's worth mentioning some of the things you can do to catch fish for the next week or two before they mm-hmm. hopefully the lake settle out and the fish you know, transition right. out on the deeper right. breaks and whatnot. Uh, give folks some some choices that you think would serve them well here for the next. Well, something I something weeks. I observe a little bit, Jim, is and it's and it's usually the people that don't get the opportunity to fish a lot. They enjoy it, but they don't get to fish a lot. Is that a lot of people kind of mit, mismatch their equipment? to the bait that they're throwing. And it yes. could be it could be the line size, 
it could be usually it's the the action of the rod is not conducive conducive to what they're throwing. Right. And years ago, I didn't think it mattered a long time ago either. I, you know, just give me a rod and something, and let me tie a bait on it and go for it. <clears throat> but I finally realized that I was really missing out on trying to fish different techniques or something or, or a particular bait. And by having maybe too light a line, too heavy a line, wrong size hook, wrong size weight for the depth I was fishing. And once you kind of catch on to that, then a lot of it comes easier. Mm-hmm. But some people just don't don't have that uh, idea of it floating in their head, I guess you'd say, because they don't get to fish enough. And I think if people can kind of come to that findings and figure a little bit of that out, it'll help them no matter how they're fishing to catch them. Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about some of those applications. We got uh, Bill on the line here mm-hmm. has a question for you. Yes, Bill, you're on with Wes Thomas. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing just fine. We hope you're doing well. Doing good. Hey, my son's in um, high school fishing now, and I'm I'm a boat captain. And my question is, is when you go out to a lake that you don't fish, I mean, you might fish it once a year because of the tournament there. How do you eliminate a lot of the water? Because um, there's so many places that look good on a map, but yet you go there and there's nothing there for you. But, um, like, do you just go by technique, or do you try and find out information about the lake, or what do you do with when you go to a new lake? Uh, sometimes if it's a place that I've got some friends that maybe – live there or or been there that I know of, I might ask, I might get try to get some general information about what the fish are doing at that particular time that, that I'm going to be there. But if it's a very big lake, and I'm talking, you know, you're, it's according to what size lake you're calling big. Now, if you're going to Kentucky Lake or something, and you're just going to be there a day or two, forget that Kentucky Lake's 100 miles long and whatever. You pick yourself out a couple places on the map that you think look good, uh, time of year, if it's early in the year, you're probably going to be back in a creek somewhere. Uh, later in the year, you're going to be in on some secondary points. And, and figure out uh, or have that kind of in your mind when you get there. And most of those places, if you try to cover too much water when you really don't know what's going on or know much about the lake, you'll end up just running around in circles and re- really won't find anything. Uh, if you think the fish are going to be in uh, less than five foot of water and the water's in the bushes, go somewhere and fish that. If you think that the fish have moved out and now they're on the, the eight to 12 foot break, you go and fish the eight foot eight to 12 foot breaks and stuff. And don't think that, man, I'm fishing here, but I know 65 miles down the lake, there's another place <laughs> I need to be at. You know, you'll, you'll end up really messing up. Uh, you know, I, small, I understand. Yeah, smaller lakes, you know, seven, eight thousand acre uh, lakes or something. It, it's a lot easier to do. Uh, one of the biggest problems we have in Indiana fishing is we don't have very many big lakes, and it's hard to put together a real solid pattern that you can go very far away and duplicate it. Uh, so in Indiana. A lot of our deals, we we have to hunker down in one particular cove or one particular area of the lake, and just figure out how to catch something that's there. We because we can't go duplicate it somewhere like you can on, say, Kentucky Lake and Barkley, where you got so much of the repetition stuff. Bill, something I'd like to add in here, Wes, and you kick in. 
uh, if it's if it's winter transitioning to spring through spring, you can pretty well fish shallow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fish will be in the bays or on uh, secondary structures where you can pretty well find fish from eight feet to one foot of water uh, during those periods, and especially key on influx water. Uh, in the fall, there's a reversal, whereas those bays start to cool and bait fish move up there to take advantage of that plankton in those bays, uh, you'll see that same kind of transition. They'll be from that first break out towards the, the main part of the body to the back. And then in between, you've got to determine the predominant forage that they're keying on. It could In rocky lakes, it could be crawfish, for example. Right. In, in lakes that uh, have a good plankton load, uh, a lot of times it'll be out on, on the breaks where the deep and the shallow meet. And as a general rule of thumb, I will tell you this. If I go to a new lake, and I've done this from Canada all the way through the United States, and I don't know the lake, my first thing I try to do is is determine where deep and shallow meet. Right. That that's that's a key because those type of areas that have deep water access next to shallow hold fish year round. Mm-hmm. Whereas some of the bigger flatter areas, for example, in the summer, uh, there'll be some bass there because they're a shallow water creature by nature. Mm-hmm. But uh, where deep meets shallow, that that catches my eye immediately. And I'm talking about underwater bars, humps. Uh, uh, bays that have a defined lip that drops into deeper water. Those are kind of different things that you can key on. And it, if I had on a lot of lakes, Wes, and you can chime in here, pro or con, and I, if you threw me on Strange Lake, anywhere mm-hmm. in the south, for example, or the Midwest, and I didn't know anything about that lake, I'd go to work flipping docks and I'm going to catch some fish. Oh, yeah. yeah. Flipping docks is an overlooked Right. tactic when you're you know in a situation where you're in unfamiliar water they love that horizontal structure they can hide under they've been doing that since they were a little right. bitty bass minnow right. you know they, and, and mm-hmm. if you don't know anything else and, and you're having trouble uh, i used to like to tell guys you know find out what's on the bottom and a good way to find out what's on the bottom you know sometimes you can take a shaky head i've seen guys that could fish a shaky head on on eight eight-pound test line and throw an eighth-ounce jig with it, and he could tell me every rock that he felt. Mm-hmm. He, could really? st- he, he could keep his bait in contact with the bottom, and it's just, a, not, it's just a, a knack that some people can do it better than others. But what I used to do till I could find out what was on the bottom, I used to throw a Carolina rig all the time yeah. or a three-quarter-ounce football jig because – that's, I can keep the, the the weight on the bottom, and I can tell when I'm coming through rocks. I can tell when I'm going to be on a shell bed or something, just the way that the bait feels clicking on the bottom. And when I could find those that, places, then I could go back and take something smaller if I wanted to, like a shaky head, and I knew what was out there before I ever threw it out there. And it, it would help yeah. me find stuff on the bottom. All, All right. right. Well, I appreciate it, guys. Well, okay, I hope that bro. was enough for you, but... Uh, Keep that kid fishing, whatever you do. Keep him fishing. This uh, high school fishing is, is really the big deal right now, and, and it's great to see it. I will uh, give you another tip, Bill, while we got you here, because it'll hold you in a pretty good stead. On on most major lakes, I don't care if you're talking about Cumberland, 
Barkley, yep. Kentucky, what you're talking about, you have a fallen treetop that's adjacent to water of any decent depth, you can bet you old Big Mouth's hanging mm-hmm. out around there. Right. He's there. Right. It's just a matter of making the right presentation. And a lot of time, the bigger fish won't be in the tree. They'll be suspended on those outside branches, watching for bluegill or shad or whatever to come by, and that's their target zone. So don't move in shallow and work out. Start the deeper part of the tree and move in, if I'm making sense. Yes, sir. All right. All right, Bill, thank you for your question. It was a good one. Hopefully we've been a little help to you. we got to go to break here, folks. This break is presented by Mossy Oak Properties, Hart Realty. Paul Thomas is the broker. Great deals on all kind of outdoor properties. Check them out at mophartrealty.com. And we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. If you got any questions for Wes Thomas tonight, 571-8484 or 1-800-444-8484. Wes, on break, we were kind of going over some things that come to your mind after you have a call like Bill. Uh, He had a great question. Yes, he did. And it's uh, something that a lot of people face. For the average person that only gets, gets to go to the lake, infrequently they're up against that about every time they right, fish because right. they don't have a pattern established. But one of the things I wanted to pass along that I think too many folks don't understand, and and I think this applies with bass in particular in a big way, look for something that's different. In other sure. words, it, 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 let's say some lakes – Let's take Taylorsville, for example. You know, a lot of those bays in Taylorsville got trees everywhere. That's a tough place to start. You don't know, you know, which trees. Which which, which limbs are hanging on. Yeah. Look for a bay that doesn't have very many trees. Uh, To the point about docks, most people, when they think docks, want to go to an area that's got a lot of docks. Same problem. You're going to spend so much time gleaning through the ones that do and don't have fish. Right. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't make sense because on a given day they might be under the shallow docks more than the deep ones. But my point is a bay or an area that's got less docks is going to be more concentrated right. on the number of fish that are using that horizontal be. cover. Right. A lot of times it will be. And uh, talking about catching them off docks and stuff, a lot of times you're fishing, you say, well, you know, How'd you catch them today? Well, caught them off docks. Well, did they really catch them off docks, or did they just caught them off a certain part of the dock? There's days when you can catch them off the back corner of a dock, and you won't catch a, hardly catch a fish on the front corner of a dock, mm-hmm. or vice versa. And uh, here recently, like I just re- we were talking about, I was fishing docks, and I got to notice, and every time I come to a set of steps, I caught a fish off the steps and then i kind of it kind of clicked and i thought i'm gonna go fish steps yep. and i could go fish that and really written concentrate maybe on the rest of the dock so much as i would just the steps and i could catch one off of every set of steps i found and that was kind of like a a little pattern within a pattern right and if somebody would ask me how i caught them i said caught them off docks yep but it was the steps off the docks you know uh, another good example would be wave breaks on the lakes, like down at Kentucky Lake, for example, there uh, at the south end, you know, below 68, that mm-hmm. big wave break as you go back yeah. there to the state park deal. Those kind of things right at daylight yeah, 
A lot of times they're made out of tires or something. That's all well, the, this particular one's made out of riprap. And yeah, rock. right, right. And there's bass that hang there all the time. Sure. It's a, it's a kind of an intersection. Right at daylight, those places are great for top water. Uh, on most lakes during the summertime, if you'll go to the riprap at the dam yeah. and fish where the riprap gives out, yeah. if it's not too deep, some yeah. of the lakes, obviously, this won't work, but... There's always a shelf there, and there's always bass there. It's yeah. almost invariably a place where you can pick up some fish. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, I feel like I probably didn't follow it along enough, but the uh, the new electronics and stuff that they got out and stuff right now, people can find that so easy. Uh, what it took some of us years and years to go find stuff at a lake and where the stumps were or where this right. little pile of rocks were. These guys can buy a chip and put it in their unit and their TV screen almost. <laughs> and in a day and a half, they can tell you where everything is on the lake. It makes them Johnny dangerous. I tell you, these high school anglers oh, yeah. have learned that. And they oh, make yeah. a quantum leap yeah. into the sport uh, you know, because they, of their They see them on the screen and drop down to them and watch them bite it. Absolutely. Folks, we got to go to break. This break is presented by SMI Marine. Go check them out. They'll take great care of you. And remember, you'll never get soaked at SMI. Okay, we're back with Wes Thomas. You got any questions for him? He is a professional bass fisherman from over around Hanover, Indiana. Numbers 571-8484-1-800-444-8484. Wes, you opened a little can of worms, if you will, <laughs> about uh, matching tackle, rod, and line. Mm-hmm. Since we've been talking about flipping around docks right. or flipping, let's say, right. you know, buck brush, stuff like that. Right. Talk about your thoughts? Uh, well, I, I'm a firm believer in that. And I see, I, I pay attention sometimes to the co-anglers that I'm fishing with or something, and I see that's a big, uh, a big mistake to me. That a lot of them make they don't get everything matched up just right. Uh, when I'm say f- uh, fishing on the river, and there's a little tube that I like to pitch around. We call it the river tube, and I put it on a two-aught hook, a special hook that I have. I put it with an eighth-ounce sinker because usually in the river, in the creek embayments, the water's not very deep, so I'm fishing extremely shallow. And if I fish that on, what I fish that on is line that is 16-pound test, sunline, fluorocarbon. If I take that same bait and that same hook and and put it on 20-pound test line, I do not catch as many fish. The heavier line doesn't let that tube, in my opinion, Sink doesn't let that tube fall the way I want it yeah. to fall. Yeah. Instead of falling and having a little bit of a curl to mm-hmm. it or a little bit of float to it, it's just like a dead stick. Yeah. And I, I've seen over the years that if I get that above 16-pound test line, I don't get the bites. If I get it much below that, I still get bites, but I break them you off. fish, yeah. And you have to match that. I, I put that on a 7-foot-2 uh, G. Loomis rod. 
that's got a fast tip on it because that little bitty bait, I can pitch that thing around really good because that tip. The rod has got plenty of strength in it, but I want that tip to be light so I can pitch that around and I can feel that subtle bite, which a lot of times um, it's just a, you may not even feel a bite. You, you go to pick up and it just feels like something sitting there sucking on it or something. You got to kind of mm-hmm. get feel. But then when I set the hook, I've got plenty of power. I trust my line's going to, you know, and, and I get it in. Now, if I fish a bigger bait with a little bit more weight on it or something, say with a three sixteenths or more, then I can go to that 20 pound test line and it, and it, it's not a problem, but just for that little tube, that's what I want. And I fish a lot of wacky styled Cinco's. I love to yes. throw a wacky style Cinco. And I throw that on 16 pound test line because it just lets that Cinco float down and those legs kind of give it that little shimmy that I want them to have. And if I throw it on something bigger and heavy, I don't get the bites on it. Okay. And and I, that just transfers right over to everything, whatever else I'm throwing. Uh, I used to Carolina rig extensively with 20-pound test line. And I, I would throw a lighter leader on it. Mm-hmm. You know, that was kind of – but anymore – I tie that baby right directly to twenty pound test, and I and I don't even sometimes I don't even lighten up the leader anymore. It didn't seem like it made any difference. But where you're throwing that in a lot of rocks and stuff like that, if if it's not pretty strong line, you're going to break it off too much. Right. And it doesn't seem to hurt me on getting the bites. I'm still getting the bites. Spinner baits, I throw it on pretty heavy line. But if I'm fishing in dirty water with a lot of cover. You know, uh, it's hard enough to get a good fish hooked up. If I get him hooked up, I want to catch him. You want to bring him up. <laughs> I want to catch him. Yes, sir. You know, uh, braid is something that I have a love-hate relationship sure. with. Right. And, and I'll tell you why, and I'll tell you the places I love it. I love it when I'm fishing a frog sure. in weeds. Oh, yeah. You know, 50-pound Gotta braid. Have Gotta have it. I bring him out of there. <laughs> He's going to belong to me once yeah. I get him on. Uh, I use braid on top water in areas where I'm throwing a long way, where I've got spooky fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, fishing a spook or baits like that on braid, you throw it a mile. Sure. I mean, you sure. you take a 14-pound braid or even 20 with a bait the size of a, of a Zara spook or a whopper yeah. plopper or whatever, and your hookups relationship is great. But, but... You've got to have a little bit of flexibility in the tip of that rod. I yeah. like a seven or seven and a half foot rod. That's what I'd call medium, mm-hmm. true medium action. But I want a lot of butt in that rod to where if I've got a horse that fish, right. I can bring him home. Now, when I'm fishing in, in the frog, I want a stiff rod. Yeah, and I, yeah. I like length. You know, right. I was one of the guys that when I was on Berkeley's pro staff eons ago. It feels like now I'm talking about back in the seventies mm-hmm. and early eighties. Uh, I was the guy that drove the force for longer rods. Yeah. I preached that and preached that. And they asked me why. I said, I'll tell you why. Because I fish for multi-species. I fish for yeah. a lot of pike, muskie, right. uh, what have you. Back in that day, as you recall, everything was five and a half or six foot and stiff as a pool cue. That's fine for certain things. But, it A, you can't move a fish. Right. Right. The there, way you, you don't see many short rod. rods anymore. No, they've it's gone kinda, by the wayside. I still fish in certain situations with with small spinner baits or small crank baits, mm-hmm. 
with five and a half, five ten pistol grip rods, and people look at me sometimes like, "Where'd you get those antiques?" <laughs> <laughs> but I I can do a little underhand pitch cast and a little roll cast of that, and I can take that little spinner bait or that little crank bait and throw it right almost where I want to throw it every time, and once in a while it'll kind of bite me, but I, I, that's I'm. I've got some at home that's still in the packages. It's probably 15 years old because you can't hardly find them anymore. Right. You know, right. That's, that's the thing of the past. Everybody's got the length now. Everybody wants that rod. Mm-hmm. And it does help you with the hook set and all that kind of stuff because you can you can move so much line. And, Absolutely. And you can move the fish so much better. And uh, the, the reels nowadays are so nice and so smooth and light. You know, I can remember fishing with a – Ambassador 5500 on a flipping stick. It was like a pool cue, and the whole thing must have weighed four pounds. <laughs> and, and now you can get everything, and it won't weigh, won't weigh eight ounces. Yeah. You know. I'll tell you a funny story about that. Uh, when I was on staff with Berkeley, mm-hmm. uh, we developed the lightning rod series. Sure. And you remember how they those dudes had yeah. some real brute strength to them. Well, then we moved up to the bionics rod. Yeah. <laughs> And I can tell you two real quick stories about the, the longer rod and the ability to move fish. I ended up in Alaska, and Van Vance, mm-hmm. my mentor in yeah, radio, Van, yeah. uh, was with me on both these trips. We showed up there in Alaska, and the guy said, what kind of tackle you got? We were fishing for those big king salmon. I said, well, I got something I like. And what I had was a, a 6,500 reel mm-hmm. with 20-pound Trialing big game line. That line has got a you can, resilience you can pull to a it. truck with it. You can. And and that seven foot bionics flipping stick. But I didn't have any trouble with those salmon. And right. that that guy was convinced that I was gonna get my butt whipped yeah. firmly, but we caught salmon up to forty pounds yeah. on that gear. Same deal. I went to Belize. And we got into those giant Jack Crevallis. You know how yeah. tough oh, yeah. they Big are. Jacks. Big Jacks yeah. and Big Barracudas. <laughs> and I was right at home with that, that equipment, believe yeah. it or not. It, uh, it did a good job. It, I think, if I recall, it holds 190 yards yeah. of 20-pound big game. And that's plenty for me to, to brute around on, on fish of that time. We used to get some rods out of California just a long, long time ago. Phoenix brand rods. Yes. And... They didn't have the pistol grip handle, but their handles was starting to get a little length to them. And we would take our regular rods and and take the handles off of them and make real long handles just so we would have a longer rod. But the from the reel out wasn't any longer, but we had this big long handle to hang on to. Yep. And we really thought we were doing something, you know. <laughs> yep. And now, I mean, you really got to search to buy anything under six and a half feet and you know and everybody's wanting seven seven six even eight eight foot rods now a lot of the guys are hitting but you you something i want to touch on on that braided line you're talking about Mm -hmm. braided line has opened up spinning rod fishing that's what i like tremendously it has for a fact because everybody used to throw the mono or fluorocarbon and it would Five foot of it would roll off your reel, and it was like a slinky, and <laughs> nobody wanted to fool with it. And they were uh, the line wasn't heavy enough. You can take, you can buy fifteen pound test braid, 
and put on there, and it's the same size as like four or five pound test line or monofilament, yes. and uh, put you about a four foot liter of whatever you want on that thing, and you're, I mean, you can throw it a half a mile, and yet you never have a, a a bird's nest on your spinning reel. Absolutely, you just got to get used to doing it a little different than the other way because it feels different, and it's. You're like in direct drive when you set the hook. And you people need to realize, again, if you're going to go that route, I, I favor a little softer tip than I would right. use for that same breaking strength mono. Right. Let me put it that right. way, okay? And and you have to rely upon a good drag. Yes, you do. The braid is unforgiving on those two things. If you power that too much, you're going to be in trouble. But, man, it... it like fishing a shaky head, you oh, feel it's, every it's, little thing. Right. And right. it's something I wanted to kind of delve into with you. All right, folks, we're going to do a quick break. Coming back, we're going to talk about some other types of baits and applications that uh, Brother Wes has got in that brain of his. Get us 571-8484, 1-800-444-8484. This break is presented by SMI Marine, 11400 Westport Road, just north of the Snyder Go see them. They'll take great care of you. And remember, you never get soaked at SMI. All right, we're back on Jim Strader Outdoors. Wes, we were talking about this time transitioning into summer. Mm-hmm. Mentioned some of your favorite lures outside. We talked about the tube and the Senko, <clears throat> uh, buzz baits, right, and or top water early and late. Well, if I'm going to, I'm just in my mind here. I'm just thinking if I'm going to go to like Lake Monroe or, or Patoka Lake, which I'm pretty familiar with and f- familiar with some of the offshore stuff, uh, probably a 10-inch worm and a three-quarter ounce football head jig with a probably a little crawdad on it. Uh, a 10-inch worm is probably going to be a Berkeley worm. And I'm probably going to have about a five sixteenths ounce weight on that because I want to feel it when it gets down and stuff. Uh, and I'm going to back off. Uh, it's because I've got history on those lakes. I, I may not really look at my electronics just because I know where some of those breaks are. But if I was new to the area and I was looking at a paper map or even the the maps on my electronics, <clears throat> they are so good anymore that you can just look at those and see where those lines get tight you can tell that's going to be a little steeper break and i'm gonna and it doesn't have to be super deep you know five six eight foot of water's enough but it uh i may be sitting out in 15 or 16 feet of water maybe even 20 if it's a pretty sharp break and i'm gonna throw those kind of baits up on the brakes and i'm gonna walk them down the break and I'm going to look, hopefully, for some, see some bait fish schools out there, kind of the, making a, hopefully the, the, you know, the fish are holding there. And I may try five or six of them on one particular lake. Maybe not all of them will have fish on them. But it, I learned a long time ago fishing shallow, too. If I, I don't try to just fish three places, if I can find a, what we call like a milk run to go to. And, right. he, and these these breaks are really a milk run deal. I may stop on this one particular break in the morning, and maybe I'll get a bite and I'll miss him. I may go to five or six other places, maybe ten. I'll come back to that place, and maybe I'll catch three keepers there. 
It's just kind of a timing thing. Maybe the bait fish have moved in or, or the sun has gotten really bright or something and it's changed the way the fish are holding. Mm-hmm. The wind direction can make a difference on where they're at on those breaks. But once you start putting that milk run together and I get a bite on spot A that's in eight foot of water and I caught it off chunk rock, I'm going to go look for pretty close to eight foot of water on chunk rock other places. If I'm casting in there and I know I'm coming through a little stump field or I know I'm coming across an isolated patch of a shell bed or something and I get a bite, I'm going to go look for that in those places. And that's how you can kind of put together uh, a pattern where you can catch multiple fish throughout the day. You may not catch them all on one place, but you got to go to several of them. And probably you won't catch them on all those places. But mm-hmm. once you get that milk run established and you got an idea that you're going to catch them in eight foot of water on real rough bottoms, that's where I'm going to go fish. I'm definitely not going to go back up shallow and fish a boat dock or something or whatever. I'm going to stay on those kind of places. Right. Name some of your top baits uh, here in the last closing minutes of the program for the summertime angler. To that's you know, Jim, I can't tell you everything. Come on, man. <laughs> no, uh, if I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to use that Berkeley worm and I'm going to use a football jig. And if I'm fishing just about anywhere else, I'm going to throw a Strike King Rage Buck. Uh, I've really got a lot of confidence in that bait. It really swims good. It's got the right little look to it. And uh, 99% of the time, it's going to be Blue Crawl. Okay. And uh, I've caught a bunch of fish on that bait in about the last three or four years. I kind of got onto that, and I've really caught a bunch of fish Do you on jump it. it, or do you creep I, it? It's a little bit of both. Uh, just recently, I was fishing a tournament, and I was fishing a break, and it was in about five, six foot of water, and I was throwing a blue crawl up there, and I could feel the rocks that I was coming through. Mm-hmm. And when I, there was a certain little place in them rocks. When I got there and that bait was almost hang, if I would take my rod and really pop it a little bit, that in my mind I was seeing that bait pop over this rock and come down. And when I popped it over that rock and it started Came down, doom, you know. So, I mean, that's just kind of stuff you got to kind of. You know, in closing, because we're about to bottom out here on the air, I want to mention something because the longer I fish, the more I learn about fish, the more I've come to understand that baits on the drop, there's a slow drop are deadly. Baits that you pause are deadly. Mm -hmm. Baits that you can bump or knock against wood like a buzz bait or a spinner bait, bring it up and knock it and then let it drop just... Six inches. Yeah. That's what triggers so many strikes and too many anglers are chunking wind. Chunking yeah. wind. Yeah. If I'm yeah. fishing a rattle trap, I ain't chunking and winding. I'm pausing, jumping, yeah. you know, causing yeah. it to flare out to the side. Something different to trigger that fish that's undecided. Right. That's the key, I think, to, to yeah. triggering a fish to, to make a strike. You know, and I'm I don't I don't process to know it all, but if my partner's doing good on something else, I'll change to what he's doing because he, he's found out something. You bet. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.